You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Welcome, 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 friends. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And we have apparently also turned into an author interview podcast, and I am very, very happy about that. And today we have a very special guest, and I am so excited to introduce Gaurav Mohanty. (laughs) Thank you. I try. I have like little notes for myself too. So Gaurav is the author of Sons of Darkness. He is a lawyer by day, a comedian by night, and an author when he can find time because he does so many things. And uh, he is actually the author of the first epic grim dark fantasy from India written by an Indian, produced in India. And I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Tiki, for having me here. That, you essentially described my bumble bio, so for that, I'm grateful. <laughs> uh, but to everyone else, namaste. It's such a pleasure to be here with TK and to you know meet her audience because she's been doing such amazing work when it comes to history reels. Just to have a conversation, chance at a conversation with her is an honor. And I hope that this session turns out to be incredibly, not only informative, but a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. So like I said, your book, your debut book is The Sons of Darkness. And you have, um, for the people who are watching the video version, he is holding up the book and it is a beautiful cover. There seems to be a very, um, uh, what is that? The dra- the dragon's show. What is that? Dr- you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How did I forget that? Wow. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. And you have the the flags of the Game of Thrones behind, behind you. <laughs> oh gosh. PK, what is going on? Anyways, it seems to be very Game of Thrones esque. So, could you just give us like a brief overview of what your book is all about? Uh, absolutely. So, I think. The reason why Game of Thrones is such a clearly a very insightful <laughs> feature all around me with the banners behind is because I think the bare bones of Sons of Darkness saw the light when I watched the first season of Game of Thrones. And this was before it became popular. Oh. So it had just come out. And after that, I consumed books one to five because, you know, the season two had not come out and I really needed to know what happened. Um, <laughs> after completing the series, I just wanted to read something similar in an Indian setting. And I was shocked and agonized that we did not have an Indian fantasy book, like a book set in India, written by an Indian author. And for me, that vacuum was strange and ironical because ancient India is the cradle of the fantasy genre. You know, Mm -hmm. our ancestors, the way they thought and dreamt of tales, they thought of 
time dilation concept which they show in interstellar you know you have species even the origin of vampires who the guy who wrote uh, dracula bram stoker credits it to an indian mythological thing so you know be it twilight lord of the rings uh, the con the creatures you know we have all thought of it and they are all present in our tales but wow. somehow yeah and it's it's insane and somehow in, in the aftermath of colonialism uh the the pride that we had in our magic and lore kind of went away you know because of the whole way we were branded as heathens and it uh, we went into science fiction yes we went into literary writing yes but somehow the fantasy genre became dead which is strange for me so i think sons of darkness was in a my freudian quest to you know find india's erebor its hidden lore you know uh, try and create a world Coincidentally, I was in my fifth year of law school when I started writing. And I'm sorry, I'm turning this into such a long TED talk answer, but uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so, but in my fifth year of law school, we have compulsory literature reading, and one of them was Toni Morrison's book, where she wrote that if I'm paraphrasing here, uh, if you want to read a book which has not been written yet, it's your duty to write it. You know, mm. and I think that kind of hit somewhere, and uh, you know, law from life is very uh, toxic and longer. So I think Sons of Darkness became an escape, where I used mm. to escape to try and create, reimagine this ancient world. You know, and not from a perspective of snake charmers and uh, heathens. You know, but something mm. which is very medievalist and battles and you know, badass women. I think these were like major concepts that are explored in Sons of Darkness. So that you know, we have a Indian player in the if there was a fictional fantasy tournament. That is so cool. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration, like what mythology or history did you use in the book? What was the inspiration? So Sons of Darkness is a reimagining rather than a retelling mm -hmm. of an ancient mythological poem called the Mahabharata. Mm -hmm. Now, for those who might not know, the Mahabharata is the world's longest poem. Uh, like if it is Ten times the size of the Iliad and uh, the Odyssey combined. Yeah, and it deals with this great war that happens, this righteous war. In a way, in a, in a huge way, a lot of people, uh, mythologists, claim that the Troy, the entire story of Troy, is in a Greek counterpart to the Mahabharata. Oh. Uh, so, like such a vast array of characters, and uh, historians claim that it was written, composed around uh, 400 BC, and mm -hmm. over time it has been added on by different histo uh, like different writers. Over the next till 200 CE, and uh, so Mahabharata is this vast cultural thing, not just of India but of the entire Indian subcontinent. Because if you go to Indonesia, even they love the Mahabharata. Mahabharata for them is a religious historical text, but the story is very different because of cross-cultural travel. The story changes. You know, everyone keeps mm -hmm. adding to it. It's the same story, but with different protagonists in Indonesia, different protagonists in Sri Lanka, or in Pakistan, right? So Mahabharata is this whole big cultural. poem that the entire indian subcontinent has inherited what wow. my thing was that uh, i wanted to approach sons of darkness from the perspective of traditionally evil characters because i totally believe that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter you mm. know and uh, you know the line between good and evil is often a line drawn in sand so i thought i'll explore it from that perspective uh, and while doing so create uh, reimagine an ancient indian world Like a Narnia, like an Indian Narnia or an Indian Westeros. That is so interesting. I didn't know that that was the. I'm I'm not even gonna attempt to pronounce the name of that poem, uh, but it was the the longest in the world. That is so interesting. So tell me about the characters in your book. The, your 
your book just came out on the 6th of July. So it's been out for a few days now. And uh, I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but I'm so excited to get my copy. Can you tell us about the characters in the book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Sandra Darkness has multiple POV characters because it's like a game of Thrones reimagination. Yeah. So uh, there are some original characters, like you have a pirate princess uh, of Kalinga. What? Yeah. <laughs> so oh she's God. like a gender fluid cross-dressing pirate princess with a love for knives and absolutely a hate for conscience. Like she has no conscience filter. So oh she's gosh. like an agent of chaos and the book and I love her. And uh, so there's that. And uh, there is a war general. She's called Satya Bhama. She's a swordswoman who commands a squad of castaway girls. Girls who were discarded by their families for fear of dowry. Because mm-hmm. the dowry was a situation in ancient India where... Uh, families did not like the idea of a second or third girl child because of the dowry pressures that came on them. So uh, in my story, Satyabhama takes, adopts these girls and turns them into soldiers. So there's this one facet there. Uh, These are original characters that I developed uh, in Sons of Darkness, but there are also uh, quintessential characters from the original epic. Like you have a prince who has turned into a torturer uh, because of circumstances. So he is like a Machiavellian character who's trying to bring down the empire she's working with. Mm. Uh, there's another lowborn warrior because caste system, I think you have done something on this. Uh, TK. Yes. You know, yeah. caste system is, is yeah. a big, big issue, uh, even right now uh, in the Indian subcontinent. So mm-hmm. we have a soldier who is from the low caste, who was not supposed to pick up weapons. Like earlier, you had very strict, defined caste. So the lower, ca- the lower caste, uh, mm-hmm. I'm putting air quotes there for people who are yeah, listening. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So they could not pick up weapons. They were not allowed to touch weapons because mm-hmm. the professions which they could do were fixed. But mm-hmm. this, there is this one noble uh, archer who wants to pick up the bow and become the world's greatest archer and his rebellion against the caste system. So that's something which we also explore. In fact, this guy, his Karna, he is often called the inspiration for Achilles and Troy because oh. they have a very similar storyline in both the original epics and Troy and Mahabharata. Got it. So are these characters in that poem or are they characters that you have created from inspiration from that poem? So some of the characters like this lowborn warrior is there in the original poem. As well as the the guy I spoke of, Prince turned torturer. You know, these characters are characters from the original epic, but I've just reimagined them and put thoughts into them. Yeah. uh, The the Mahabharata is a poem, but it is often called, when the person who wrote it, he used the word which is called itihas, the Sanskrit word, which means it's history. So when he was writing this in 4000 BCE, 400 BCE, sorry, he was describing Mm -hmm. events that happened thousands of years before that, according to him. So Got it's like it. a whole gamlet of time that exists uh, in uh, ancient Indian lore. It's it's really complicated. There's so much complexities to explore there. And uh, and they're only coming to limelight in this century. Uh, what has happened is because of the English giving so much attention to Greek mythology, Greek plays, and treating them as classics, they have become commercial mainstream knowledge. But not when it comes to India, because there was a lot of language difference. Even though Sanskrit yeah. is called the mother of all languages, they took their time in learning our language. And that's why they could not explore our epics. Mm. Uh, whether it is out of prejudice or genuine language issues, I'm not sure. 
but i'm glad that we are slowly coming back to the forefront to discover the richness of our uh, you know cultural tapestry so. yeah one thing i'm really excited about i feel like re- either it is happening recently or i'm just becoming more aware of it recently i'm not sure which one it is but i've seen a lot of mythology adaptations from other cultures not just greek and roman mythology and i am so into it i absolutely love it because although i do enjoy greek and roman mythology i grew up with four different mothers basically my my own mom my other mom from germany my other mom from nepal and my other mom from iceland and they would all tell yeah my mom single mom life uh had a group of women around her from her university and they were all from different places and they would we would all get together and they would tell stories so we had a lot of different you know children's stories from different places so i'm so excited to see all of these mythology adaptations from different countries and oh yours sounds so interesting i'm so excited for that pirate princess woman <laughs> she sounds amazing so can you tell me a little bit about your process of writing so you have a bunch of different povs lots of points of view so how did you keep that all straight in your mind where are you a sticky note person or how did you do that <laughs> honestly it just like towards the end it was completely chaotic because i never wrote with the idea that i would ever finish this book it was an escape for me you know mm-hmm. because if someone came and told me uh, when i started writing that it will take you 4 years to complete this book i would have given up i would have thought okay no this is too much of a time investment yeah but uh, since i was writing just for the pleasure of writing and the for the pleasure of creating the world i wrote the scenes which i wanted to you know like mm-hmm. i mean the idea of a pirate princess sounds so cool especially one who's completely unhinged so i right? loved writing from her perspective yeah I, i think it was pretty epic and i agree i know i've written this i'm obviously biased but even as a third person i think that is badass so yeah. i really uh, i enjoyed writing that uh once the story started coalescing from my imagination i started you know putting them in order stitching them up uh because i did not know that i was not professionally trained in the skills of writing or i had not mm. let's say looked at the brandon sanderson free videos on youtube which teach you a lot about how a writing process can be streamlined and made faster uh so i wrote the scenes which i wanted to write and ultimately i started putting them together and uh, you know with a couple of revisions and you know there was this one sacred timeline that i was able to form through the uh, characters and yeah four years later it turned into a book so that is uh, so exciting yeah congratulations <laughs> for that so we were speaking earlier before we started recording that um you self published like the first version of this book and then you it got like picked up by a publisher how was that process so the genre of fantasy is dead in india i think we just spoke about that sometime yes. back mm-hmm. uh what happens is when it comes to any epic fantasy novel let's say let's take lord of the rings or mm-hmm. uh, game of thrones you know mm-hmm. the most popular examples each of those books are at least 650 pages 600 pages now when mm. i pitched my book to publishers here in india they were all very excited with the storyline but they wanted me to split my first book into three parts you know when this mm. is supposed to be part one of a five book series 
and that I was not okay with. And I understood where they were coming from. No one had taken that gamble yet on the journal. And this was a non-negotiable for me, uh, you know, having this book split into parts because that I felt would dilute the entire thing. And my whole idea is to bring the fantasy genre back. And if I split it, it becomes, it doesn't make, doesn't achieve that effect. So mm-hmm. I tied up with the publisher, uh, which was sort of like, they will publish the book, but you know, the royalty spread will be different and stuff like that. And what happened is when I started out, when I started marketing the book, get them across, suddenly there was a huge flux of readers who were actually like you hungry for non-European inspired fantasy worlds. You know? yeah. I think sometimes we reach a saturation point where everyone, everyone's looking for something new and, and not just from the point of view of something new, but just to learn something, you know, learn about other cultures, you know, I think that brings so much to the place. And because of this interest, I think, which is happening around the last two, three years, uh, Sons of Darkness, I think, rode on that wave and it got so much adoration from outside India. You know, in India, I was still trying to build that base. And, uh, you know, before I know it, interest was shown by publishers and agents and ultimately the book got picked up. And now on 6th July, it finally had this worldwide release to reach its uh, deserved audience. So I'm like, really grateful for the muses and the stars who have been Yay. blessing my way I'm so happy for you. So when did you start developing this love for fantasy? Because clearly you have a deep love for the fantasy genre with your, you know, Game of Thrones flags sitting behind you. And it seems like you have a really deep knowledge of Lord of the Rings and and those sorts of fantasy novels. So how did it start? I think the love for fantasy, I never knew this as a fantasy genre, mm. but in India, there's a big tradition that goes on of grandmothers telling the grandchildren stories, you know, whenever we go and visit them. It's mm-hmm. something which is common across our Indian families. You know, in fact, I remember whenever we used to visit my grandmother, I had to make a decision. Do I sleep with my parents as a kid? I, do I sleep with my parents, which the room has AC in it, air conditioning in it? Or do I sleep with my grandmother where there is no air conditioning, but then I get to listen to stories, you know, and I always chose the latter at great discomfort, but it was amazing. I grew up with those stories. And uh, so fantasy and magic has always been part of it. Mm. But I think my starting point again, and I hate to sound like a radio. I wish I started off with something else, but it is Game of Thrones again. Uh, So I think because when I saw and read it, I, I did not, I couldn't believe that something like this existed. And since then, I think I've read like 17 to 18 fantasy novels and series. And it's just been a genre which is as wide as the magical, uh, sorry, medical field. You Mm. know, you have urban fantasy, you have medieval fantasy, you have dark fantasy, you have cozy fantasy. It's just like there's so many sub-genres there. It's just, uh, it just makes things beautiful, you know. I think George R.R. Martin said something on the lines of that um, they don't prefer airlines they like to ride on icarus with wings mm-hmm. you know uh, they don't like cheap beer they like summer wine mm-hmm. you know, scarlet and so I, I love that you know the same thing the just you just use synonyms the same story which is a fictional story but with just this element of exoticness that makes it just so delicious that's excellent i'm actually very new to the fantasy genre i was a a a non-fiction girly i loved the history books things like that but recently i have been getting more into the non-fiction world and i didn't really realize that there were so many types of non-fiction books out there and it's really exciting to start getting into 
All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end, or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. So in your book, The Sons of Darkness, who would you say is your favorite character that you wrote? <laughs> I know it's hard. Like, <laughs> your favorite children, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, we all have a favorite, but it's so difficult to admit to it, right? I think, mm. I suppose. Uh, yeah. I, the most fun that I had writing was uh, Krishna, who mm. is actually god in indian mythology but yeah. uh I, but i humanize him uh in my book uh because in the in the in the mythology itself he was a human being he was mm-hmm. an avatar of one great god called vishnu uh-huh. so he was a human sent to teach the lessons uh what he undergoes the trials that every human had to but he used his mind you know like dumbledore to create this entire vast puppeting scheme you know where he was controlling each kingdom to lead to the great war Wow. Uh, so I also see Krishna as this big Machiavellian character where his response to things, he's running so many plans and conspiracies. So keeping that in track, I loved dealing with that because that was pretty like awesome. It felt like a lot of political conspiracy involved and it felt like a very Shakespearean drama where mm-hmm. he is uh, pulling the strings. But then again, pulling, uh, climbing on the Dumbledore example, Dumbledore said this one line to Harry Potter that mm-hmm. um, being smarter than everyone else when I make mistakes, the consequences tend to be larger, Mm. you know? And I love that line, the the whole premise of that line. And that's what we explore in Sons of Darkness, where Krishna has thought of everything, but he does make slips. And Mm. what are the consequences of those slips? So So, I really enjoy it. That's great. How do you get yourself in, like, the mindset of the character? Because writing in the point of view of Krishna as as a human and writing as the pirate princess who doesn't give a shit about anything, I'm sure the mindsets are really different. So how how did you do that? How did you get into character, I guess? I think when I stepped into the shoes of different characters, uh, as human beings, I think we imbibe a lot of qualities. Uh, you know, we we are there's a spectrum even when it comes to qualities within a human being. Mm-hmm. But when I like, let's say, if I lot I would like to be. I sometimes about well, this is about well, sounds like a confession, but uh, you know, in my <laughs> in my head, you know, when I read the picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, mm-hmm. I was very influenced by it. You know, where uh, they say that conscience is nothing but a fear of society. Mm. You know, and I've always believed that, and uh, it might be a twisted thought. But when it came to Mati, I just dialed it to 10. Mm. And it was easy for me to write her responses then. Similarly, when I was stepping into Krishna's shoes, Krishna's shoes, I imagine myself in a Game of Thrones world. If I were there cosplaying in it or, you know, if I was sent back in time, how would I respond to these things? So, you know, his reaction was something I would do. Mm. Uh, So that was fun. Karna is someone who's the low-born warrior who was rebelling against the caste system. This is something which I, I got inspired by a lot of historical figures who have actually fought against the caste system mm. to bring about so many reforms in India. So, you know, putting myself in their shoes, the way they have responded to situations kind of made it 
not easy but you know i could make i hope realistic responses to situations that's awesome this book sounds absolutely fantastic and i'm really glad that i don't have to wait for it <laughs> well i do have to wait for it because uh, it it's not here at my house yet but <laughs> so what has been kind of your book just came out so i'm sure july 6th was like a really kind of surreal moment for you to have these these four years of work just culminate into this one day but other than the release date of your book has there been any moments where you're like oh my gosh this is crazy i can't believe that i have done this or i'm doing this or you know what has been kind of that moment for you I think I have one of those moments almost on a monthly basis, you know, since the follow-up <laughs> in the book. But uh, you know, I think the latest one was when like really famous authors like Mark Lawrence or there's an author called Dan Jones, uh -huh. uh, who's a historian. Uh, you know, they just wrote the most amazing. They picked up the book, they read the book, and they just gave the most amazing review. In fact, Dan Jones, uh, who's a British historian. Wrote, yeah, this reads like Game of Thrones in an alternate Indian universe. I'm like, yes, that's the review. That's my tagline. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and even Mark Lawrence wrote a very detailed review. He went to Goodreads and wrote a detailed review. And I was so appreciative of that. Like the greats are getting a chance to read my book and, you know, they are liking it. So it feels like, okay, maybe I'm not an imposter, you know. So it yeah. kind of like really helps with that. And uh, every time I go for these uh, book meetings you know where mm -hmm. i'm speaking and there's a bunch of people who are listening to me attentively and asking me questions and asking to take pictures with me this whole celebrity woman celebrity again in air quotes uh, <laughs> having, it's it just feels surreal and i'm marinating in it as much as i can so, oh <laughs> i'm so happy for you that's great so you said this book is going to be in a series do you have plans yeah. for other books are you starting to write other books right now or I'm supposed to send in the second book by September this year because I mean uh, yeah that book has been in writing for the last two years mm -hmm. uh, because I started writing the second book before I without waiting for the first book to get published because Got I was it. enjoying it. Mm -hmm. so the second book is called Dance of Shadows and uh, again that deals with a lot of historical aspects as well like for example India had a concept of Dev Dasis okay mm -hmm. and I hope this is something which we can explore in one of your reels yeah so yeah Dev are um women who were born with a problem in their horoscope which stated that if they married somebody their husband will die okay. yeah, yeah it's still it's still prevalent in India. in fact a lot of people say that i don't know if you know ashwarya rai who's this miss world and you know she's the very famous personality yeah yeah, yeah. so a lot of people uh there's a big rumor which goes on that she was also born with this uh, fault in her stars let me call it that uh -huh. and then what happens in such a scenario is that you are made to marry a goat or a tree uh, and then the goat or the tree is sacrificed so that your first husband in that sense is killed what? and then you marry the second one yeah it's a whole thing and she's like like Ashwarya Rai is now married to uh, Abhishek Bachchan who is the son of Amitabh Bachchan who's again a big Bollywood actor mm -hmm. these are just rumors and gossip but mm. very strong rumors and gossip but yeah. the, the whole fault in the stars thing did ha is still very prevalent and used to happen even then so what they came out with a way to use these girls my god I use a lot of air quotes I can see that they <laughs> <laughs> so found a way to utilize these girls these girls were then sent to a training school oh. where they were trained to become assassins and how they were made to eat poisons. Okay. 
And this is real? This is like a real life thing? <laughs> real. This is Get like... out of town. What? Yeah. what? <laughs> okay. Poison assassins. In fact, Aristotle warned Alexander that when you're heading to India, don't worry so much about the kings. Worry about wish kanyas. Poison damsels, basically. Wish means poison. Kanyas means girls. So these are poison damsels. Yeah. <sighs> Please, I'm like speechless right now. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> yeah, so what used to happen with these girls was uh, they were they were const constantly given a diet of poison and antidote, okay. so that they develop an immunity towards the a multiple host of poisons. You know, it's a process called mithridatism. I'm not sure if I'm getting the name right. It's a scientific process. Okay. Now, what used to happen? Most of the girls did not survive this, unfortunately, but the ones who did became immune to a lot of toxins. They were then trained in the art of dancing, seduction, and music uh -huh. so that they could become highly valued courtesans. And then they were sent into king's chambers. Now, what used to happen is you're obviously the, the anyone entering the king's chamber is thoroughly vetted, thoroughly checked. Yeah. Be it a woman, a man, does not matter because most of the kings had eunuch guards. So they used to like thoroughly explore a woman. But what these Vishkanyas used to do, they used to hide the poison pellet or sting inside their lips. So they are getting poisoned, but since they're immune to it, they don't die. And when they used to kiss the king, they used to slip the poison and assassinate them. So the <laughs> entire concept of poison ivy in the Batman series is completely, completely, there's no two ways to it taken from a historical fact called Vishkanya. Oh my yeah. gosh, that is so cool. That's... Yeah, so cool. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm so blown away by this information. Okay, so are those characters going to be in your second book? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Vishkana is a character in my second book. Uh, then you also have the counterpart of uh, geishas, you know, in the way Jap the Japanese have geishas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, Usha. yeah, geishas. Mm -hmm. Geisha, right? So we had a similar thing which was called Devdasis. These were women who were married to gods, you know, uh, and so which was a very clever way of saying that they were, since they were married to gods, they could take any husband, you know, uh, so they were trained like Geishas in, uh, you know, music, dance, etc. And mm -hmm. they could choose their men. Uh, they used, enjoyed royal patronage of kings, you know, they were amazing dancers. They were all, they all stayed in temples, uh -huh. you know. What happened is their history is actually very interesting because once the Britishers came in, they were appalled by the idea of temple dancers mm. sleeping with other men. Mm. You know, culturally though, like wives of men who have enjoyed the services or uh, friendship or companionship of these Devdasis did not mind them. Indian wives did not mind them because they thought, because it was so rigidly like straight jacketed Mm -hmm. Wives used to take care of the house, you know, and Devdasis used to take care of their husbands. So mm -hmm. that, and Devdasis made sure that it's completely physical. There was nothing emotional. Mm -hmm. So that way the husband stayed emotionally faithful to the wives. And it's a whole thing. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. Wow. But, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but what happened when the Britishers came in, a lot of white women, uh, and understandably so, they set out an entire program of banning the Devdasis. Because they thought that this is not right, which obviously could be true too, you know, because mm -hmm. these days that is where 
are taken to dance from a very young age of 9 years and 10 years mm-hmm. so obviously there mm-hmm. was child exploitation that used to happen there so there were two sides of the coin but this brought into a lot of legislations by the britishers mm-hmm. which banned this entire concept and then these devdasis were forced into prostitution they were never like prostitute like the same way geishas and there's a difference between geishas and something else in japan from mm-hmm. what i've seen be that's my source of knowledge i'm sorry i don't know yeah, much about okay. it <laughs> yeah but it's just that they were very they chose their own men you know and uh, they enjoyed patronage rather than you know do it just for the coin mm. and uh, but that tradition totally fell off and those women suffered a lot during the 1800s and 1900s because of sudden loss of patronage yeah so there's again a devdasi character in the second book as well where i'm wow. exploring the temple dancer concept and rooting it into fantasy that's excellent i'm so excited i love the idea of very strong women in their own right in fantasy books because it's often especially in in the fantasy genre that there's women characters and they are strong but their character development isn't super solid or they are strong but they're also portrayed as like these gorgeous yes right damsels in distress that are strong but they still need somebody and it seems like these two characters that are going to be in your book are not like that and i'm very excited about it and oh thank you thank you that was a major motivation that i did not want to write about damsels in distress i wanted Mm -hmm. to write about damsels who cause distress you know, oh. I think that was like a major motivation for me to write because yes, it's um, like I have taken a lot from history, mm-hmm. but history often comes freighted with patriarchy because that has been a part of the history. Yeah, uh, it's. But I I wanted to write about women uh, who in a, in a, in certain of the uh, countries in the the kingdom in which I have established, mm-hmm. where women enjoy equality. They're not overcoming patriarchy. They are on their own and they are badass mm-hmm. on their own. You know? mm-hmm. Because what happens is. Most of the stories that we read of women, uh, in fantasy or other literature, is about them overcoming patriarchy, and which is mm. beautiful, amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. But I also want to write about worlds where that does not exist, and they are overcoming something else. You know, it doesn't yeah. always have to be that, and so that kind of brings a diverse perspective as well. Yeah, that is incredibly refreshing. Uh, as a person who is constantly trying to bring down the patriarchy, <laughs> it would be nice to have a storyline that's not centered around that. So yeah. that is excellent. I'm so excited. So I I guess I don't want to have your whole book just be spoiled on <laughs> this podcast episode. <laughs> so for the final question I'm going to ask you today is, what is the one thing that you really want readers to kind of understand about your book or like what is your your number one message in this book message that's that's a good question <laughs> the wheels are churning in my head um i think i was not trying there's no message per se mm-hmm. in the book uh, where i am trying to give a uh, like okay this is the moral of the story or something mm-hmm. on those lines but this book is for readers who just want to explore a different world you mm. know? and if they have ever been fascinated by the idea of india you know or want to see a magic system which is based on millennia old concepts of yoga chakras and mandalas because mm. in my book there's an assassin's apprentice who's learning how to murder using yoga and chakras you know so, so 
you know and and chakra science is something which was developed by ancient indians it's all about raising your spiritual consciousness to an elevated level you know wow. through meditation and stuff and this and they developed it like a science but i turned that science into an assassin science you know because i want to like bring that into fantasy yeah. and that has been like, a, like and this is just an example like if you want to read about the spices and sherbets of south asia i think sons mm-hmm. of darkness will be a great introduction uh, to our mythology <laughs> and plus i think introduce you to one of the greatest epics that have ever been told mahabharata like this is a mm-hmm. small fragment of that in huge epic so if troy and iliad have all excited you you know so just wait till you come to india <laughs> oh i'm so excited thank you so much for telling us about your book and i'm of course going to be putting um links to by the sons of darkness in the show notes plastering on the social media you got to get this book and if people want to hear more from you uh can you tell us where they can go Yeah absolutely I'm on Instagram and again this is going to be embarrassing but my Instagram handle is the king beyond the wall which <laughs> again a game of thrones inspired one but uh, well no <laughs> on That's Twitter okay. <laughs> on Twitter I have my real name it's mohanty gorav 7 uh, I mean I'll send TK the uh, socials so that yes. maybe she can add them in the list and my website is also there which has my contact information so and if you look at the website please appreciate it because i created it all on my own by watching youtube tutorials okay <laughs> it took me months of frustration so definitely check that out if not the book <laughs> or of as a champ lawyer uh website maker author <laughs> excellent thank you so much for joining us i am so excited to get my hands on your book and thank you for spending time with us today telling us all about your fantastic book the sons of darkness and then i will see you my wonderful listener in the outro <laughs> thank you namaste <laughs> well dear one we have come to the end of our episode episode 103 and we are drawing ever nearer to the end of season 6 we have one more episode and that's the season finale before we put this season in the big big book of history as always i put all of gorov's information in the show notes and i will be tagging him on instagram so you can go check that out please please if you can go pick up his book or remember you can always request it at your local library which is just as good if not better because you know then you're sharing the love of this book with other people that possibly might want to read it in your local library. And if you're feeling in the supporting mood, I would greatly appreciate a sacrifice on the altar of the algorithm gods with a rating and review that would be absolutely lovely. And if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can join us on Patreon. Patreon now offers short trials to see if it would be something that you would be interested in, so you can head on over and check that out. or you could purchase some amazing for the love of history merch and i do say amazing because i think it is pretty good i might be biased cuz i made it but you know i'm sad you know it it is pretty sweet and and it supports the podcast so double awesome but if that's not your thing that's totally okay why don't you tell your dentist about for the love of history next time you're getting your teeth cleaned because word of mouth is the number one way people hear about podcasts 
And as always, I would love to hear from you and what you think about this episode. And with that, I will tell you to take care of yourself this week. Do something that makes you happy. Seriously, seriously, go outside, touch some grass. You'll feel a thousand times better if you're not feeling great. Okay? Okay. Do something that makes you happy. All right? And please don't forget to drink your water. And I will see you next week in our season finale when we talk about the Egyptian cult of Sobek. Okay, love you. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. (laughs) What did it take to survive an ancient siege? Why was the cult of Dionysus behind so many slave revolts in ancient Rome? What's the tragic history and mythology behind Japan's most haunted ancient forest? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. Join us to explore ancient history and mythology from a fun, sometimes tipsy perspective. Find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts.